Longhorn Nation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is back, folks. Oh, yes. Oh, Christ. We're back. Welcome back to another episode of the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. I am your host for today's episode, Josh, uh, all by myself again. Noah and Tux both a little too busy, uh, so not quite able to get anything, but didn't want to miss another week. I'm back for the first time in a couple weeks. Talk a little bit about Texas as they come off that huge win against Oklahoma. The, the, the hated Sooners, a game that I was able to attend. I'm glad I was finally able to make it to that. Uh, I guess not really finally able to make it. I've been to that game outside of 2020 every single year since 2016. So I guess it was nice to only get my second win. But I think on aggregate, I think Texas is now officially winning on aggregate for all the games that I've attended. So... Great game for Texas, obviously, 49-0. to You will take that every single time. I think even the most optimistic of Texas fans were not expecting such a dominant scoreline. I think without Dylan Gabriel, Texas fans knew that it was going to be tough for Oklahoma to move the ball. But, boy, that was an unbelievably bad performance from Oklahoma. I, I couldn't, couldn't even believe what I was watching, how bad they were playing. Uh, even... Even with everything that Texas did right, there was just so much that Oklahoma did wrong. That said, it doesn't really make it that much less satisfying. I mean, admittedly, yeah, we would have rather done that to an Oklahoma team that we thought was actually good. But all the same, the corn dogs, the corny dogs, once you walk out of the uh, Cotton Bowl, taste a little bit cornier. The mustard is a little Dijonier. And uh, I mean, you know, the sky's a little bit bluer. Everything just feels right in the world when Texas beats Oklahoma. And that goes... That, that rings even more true after a 49-0 blowout, a Red River shutout uh, that I'm not sure any of us will be forgetting anytime soon. So, I mean, everything was great about it. I mean, even in the stands, you had Sooners fans, like fully grown adult men Sooner fans crying. Uh, I imagine for that guy, it, it had just been a rough week, a rough month. You know, his wife left him, his dog died, his parents are getting a divorce. Just a lot of different things. And we just made everything worse. The, the boys convinced him, like, yeah, bro, we're going to go to Dallas. You know, we always beat the shit out of Texas, bro. It's going to be sick. And then it was not sick for him. It was sick for Texas fans. Absolutely unreal atmosphere. Some of the loudest Texas fans I have seen since I've been attending this game. I mean, the atmosphere is always fantastic. It's always the best. The, the, the best setting in all of college football is that Cotton Bowl during the Red River shootout. So the, the the energy was great. Had the best seats that I've had since I started attending the game. Great energy from, from everyone, even into the fourth quarter, still getting loud, even when the game was more than in hand, trying to make sure that Texas could finish the shutout. Absolutely a ton of fun. Uh, the other fan I like to think about, the other OU fan, not one that I think was made it onto TV, but you just know that that fan was out there, was some child has grown up, you know, eight years old, 10 years old or something, grown up his whole life in Oklahoma as a Sooners fan. And his parents working at the gas station, selling meth, doing whatever they're doing, just sort of skimped and saved and just scratched together all the coin they could just to get little Billy his first tickets to his first Red River shootout. 
He was so excited walking into that. Yeah, Dad, they always beat Texas. We always beat Texas. I'm not even worried. We're going to crush Texas. We fucking slapped that kid so hard back into reality. Like, it might have ruined football for him. Knowing that there's that type of fan in the stands for Oklahoma absolutely makes my day. Knowing how many days were absolutely ruined by that performance. Just every every single level of it. And especially knowing how bad Oklahoma was. Like, Davis, Davis Bevel or whatever the hell that kid's name was for Oklahoma. Holy shit, talk about an awful quarterback. And all that shitty talk, transferring to Oklahoma after being, you know, the third stringer at Pitt. And now we're all sort of left sitting here wondering how he was only the third string. How was he not the fourth, fifth, sixth string for Oklahoma or for Pitt before he left? I'm not sure that kid made an accurate throw that went further than about three yards. If it went further than that, he had he skipped balls to on like over to receivers who were behind the line of scrimmage. That that throw that he had that at the end of the first half, just the Hail Mary, never had a prayer. I mean, some of the worst quarterbacking I've ever seen at the Power 5 level. And uh, Oklahoma wheeled it out there. And impressively, they just had no idea how to work around that. Absolutely no willingness to, willingness to try anything different. Don't try any of their young guys. Not until it's late in the game, and by then they were just handing the ball off with Evers. The, the only solution they seemed to have for the fact that they had no quarterback was to just constantly run the Wildcat. And admittedly, they did actually have some pretty good progress running it out of the Wildcat for the first quarter, the first half, really. Texas adjusted really well in the second half. But that first half, they seemed to move it more or less at will out of the Wildcat, whether it was poor tackling, poor gap fits, poor just discipline from the defense. They were moving it more or less at will until they would inexplicably do some really dumb shit like the pop pass out of the Wildcat or, you know, trying the straight dive, even though the runs to the outside were constantly finding space, that type of stuff. They would just shoot themselves in the foot. And it makes me really happy knowing what a piece of shit Jeff Lebby is, that that was the best that he could come up with. However much they're paying him. Texas boosters need to double it to keep him in Oklahoma because holy God, like no doubt, this is by far the worst Sooners team since pre-Bob Stoops. It's not even in question. They got all high and mighty off of beating, you know, Kent State, beating Nebraska, who's fucking hopeless. It just absolutely disastrous Oklahoma team. And it... I mean, you can't help but be encouraged by how bad they were. Uh, Brent Venables clearly in over his head, does not have any, even like an iota of the culture of toughness that Sooner fans were telling everyone that would listen to him online that they were going to have. Things were going to be so much better without Lincoln Riley because they would finally get rid of the entitlement and the laziness. No, exact same entitlement and laziness only now with zero discipline on offense to hide how bad their defense was. That's that's the only difference. That's the only thing that's changed is you don't have the firepower on offense. You don't have the threats on offense to cover up how bad your defense has been for so many years. It was I, Brent Venables, everything that Texas fans could have hoped he would be, and then some. I know a lot of Texas fans, I, I talked about it before, wanted him to be basically 
the Charlie Strong of OU. And they, I think at this point, OU fans would be happy to have Charlie Strong. Because while Charlie Strong's Texas teams early and often just would lay down and die once a game got out of hand, that never happened in Dallas. Those Texas teams were always fighting. They they certainly weren't perfect, but they always fought. It was always a close game. They were always battling with Oklahoma. They were always ready to hit someone in the mouth in those games. Not not the case for OU. Soft defense, terrible offense. No one showed any interest in actually playing well in that game. It, it was just a series of poor choices beginning with the choice to attend school in Norman, Oklahoma. Just unbelievably bad. But I, I think the real positive takeaway for Texas is this was the most complete game that a Steve Sarkeesian Texas team has had to date. We've had games where we've taken big leads into halftime. Hell, this game last year is a perfect example. We've taken leads into halftime, and then we've come out of halftime and just not looked at all convincing. This was not the case. I mean, the offense didn't have to do as much. You know, when you go into halftime up 28-0, to zero, only scoring 21 in the second half only seems a little disappointing. But ultimately, I, I think the thing that was the most encouraging is the only time that Oklahoma actually threatened to score was in the first quarter. After that, the Texas defense consistently got stronger, even despite the fact that well into the third quarter, well into the fourth quarter, there were a ton of backups playing. We saw Justice Finkley pick up his first career sack. It, it wasn't like we left the starters out there just to choke out the Oklahoma team and force the shutout. No, even the backups came ready to play for Texas. Shut down the starting Oklahoma offense. That's how dire things are in Oklahoma. But that's how impressive Texas was. That's how focused they were. That's how prepared they were, is that it didn't matter who was coming out for Texas. They they were going to come hit someone in the mouth, and they were going to play disciplined, strong defense. And that's very encouraging, especially knowing the record that Steve Sarkeesian has on the road, the record that he had on the road last year, and our inability to close out opponents, whether they were ranked or not. As far as what that means for the rest of the season, though, it's, like I said, it's the worst Oklahoma team in, you know, 25 years. Like, make no mistake about it. This is not a sneaky good Oklahoma team that Texas blew out. This was a very, very bad Oklahoma team. That said, this Oklahoma team should still beat the likes of a ULM. And Texas still played better against Oklahoma than they did against ULM. Everything was clicking for Texas. Everything was working. Jalen Ford was great. Uh, Coburn, the entire defensive line was great. Deshaun Jameson, obviously another interception. He's been playing great so far this year. But, I I mean, the offense, I think, is obviously very encouraging. Quinn Ewers comes back for the first time since he got hurt against Alabama. Sort of some nerves about, okay, what's he going to look like in such an emotional game? How rusty is he going to be? I think, at this point, all the Texas fans can look at this and go, if this is the rusty version of Quinn Ewers, if this is what he looks like when he hasn't practiced nearly as much as we'd hoped for, when he's not been seeing live game reps nearly as often as he would if he had stayed healthy. If 286 or whatever yards and four touchdowns is a rusty Quinn Ewers, 
Woo! Just wait. Just wait. Iowa State this weekend. Shit, man. I would not want to be you. Uh, Jatavian Sanders, the other really big revelation, I guess, for Texas fans on offense this season, looks unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. That guy is a specimen on every level. And, I mean, here's your hot take. Maybe not that hot if you're a Texas fan. Going into this season, the tight end that was getting all the hype nationally was Brock Bowers at Georgia. Jatavian Sanders, I'll say it right now, is better than Brock Bowers. Plain and simple. He's a a more dynamic playmaker. He's faster. He's just better. And he's a better person because he went to Texas, obviously, as as opposed to Georgia. But Jatavian Sanders, uh, a man amongst boys, he and Quinn Ewers are clearly on the same wavelength in this offense. Five touchdowns already for Jatavian Sanders, which ties, what was it, the record for most in a season? Folks, we're halfway into the season, and Jatavian Sanders has already tied the Texas record for most touchdown receptions by a tight end, or at least in like the last 15 years. What was it? Uh, Jermichael Finley, I think, had five. You're talking about Jatavian Sanders possibly getting into the double digits this year. That's absolutely absurd for a tight end that, I mean, barely saw any reps last year, receiving passes from a quarterback who didn't get to play really at all last year, even as good as Quinn Ewers is, the way that those two have meshed together, the way that they have played together, the fact that they are on the same page the way they are is unbelievably exciting if you're a Texas fan. You should be extremely impressed with everything that we've seen there. Then on the other hand, you've got Roshan, you've got Bijan. We know those guys are cold-blooded. Xavier Worthy, uh, Keelan Robinson, yet again looking lethal, doing the basically everything role, playing a little bit of tailback, playing a little bit of wide receiver, a little bit of slot receiver, just moving all over the field, just being a guy that's a matchup nightmare. You want to put him against a linebacker, you want to put him on a safety, you want to have him out of the backfield. You can do whatever you want to with Keelan Robinson. There are so many parts and pieces to this offense that all mesh together so well. And to imagine that this isn't even the Texas offense at full strength. This offense was supposed to have Isaiah Nair on top of the fact that Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy are already insanely good this year. Isaiah Nair was supposed to be part of this offense. Jake Majors, despite the fact that Roshan and Bijan find ways to make yards despite the very young offensive line struggling at times with run blocking. A guy like Jake Majors, uh, Jake Majors, sorry, Junior Angelau. A guy like Junior Angelau, that strength, that experience, if he was on the line, just the improvement that that would have. And despite that, this offense finds ways to produce, finds ways to move the ball on the ground, finds ways to keep Quinn Ewers upright. I think there are really only maybe one or two times that Quinn Ewers even got bumped by an Oklahoma player after the play. Absolutely outstanding performance on every level from the offense. Again, really, really bad Oklahoma team. So we'll see how that translates when we get into the better defenses in the Big 12, like Iowa State, like Kansas State, like Baylor, theoretically. But I would say the stock on the Texas offense is going up. 
if the defense can continue the way that they've been looking so far right now, it seems more and more clear each week that the tech game is an aberration. I think we talked about it on, on one of these podcasts. There was so much focus put on Pete Kwiatkowski coming into Texas, how few times he had given up more than 20 points at Washington or, or 20 points or less. Texas now over the last seven games, counting K-State last year, over the last seven games has only allowed more than 20 points once, and that was against Texas Tech. So if we prove that that truly is the outlier this season, if the defense stays focused, they don't need to be perfect because we've established that this offense can be deadly. If the defense can stay focused, if the defense can play this well, even if it isn't Next level, we don't need them to be Georgia. This is a team that can really make noise in the Big 12. This is a team that can compete for the Big 12 title game, which is really, really impressive considering how upset people rightfully were after the Tech game. It felt like everything was still the same. We hadn't learned anything. We hadn't gotten better. We were still falling into the same traps. This team can do a lot on the back of Quinn Ewers, on the arm of Quinn Ewers, getting carried literally by Roshan and Bijan, with Jatavian Sanders being a playmaker on every level for Texas, with this defense, even playing average defense, it's very encouraging. A lot of these things where Texas fans throughout the offseason were talking about, we could have this improvement if this happens. These things could be better if this happens. And so far to this point, despite the pessimism, from especially from me, the pessimism about Sark's ability to make those things happen, we have seen a significant step forward in a lot of these areas of concern for Texas. We're waiting to see Kyle Flood continue to develop these young offensive linemen, get that run blocking even better. I feel like we're going to see a lot of that, kind of like we did with the pass blocking last year, where that's just going to progressively get better and better. And that offensive line is eventually going to get to be at least solid in, in run blocking. But what, one other thing that you need to really keep in mind for this Texas offense. Next season... You lose Jordan Whittington, you lose Bijan Robinson, unfortunately, and you lose Roshan Johnson. You lose those three. Otherwise, everyone that you see starting right now, Xavier Worthy, Quinn Ewers, Jatavian Sanders, Isaiah Nair will be back. All of those guys are back next season. Kelvin Banks is back next season. The entire offensive line. You could have Junior Angelau, who hopefully will bounce back from that ACL injury. You will have so much, so many experienced and extremely talented players who are having an impact this year on offense for Texas who will be back next year. That, that's got to be encouraging if you're sorry, because I think that's one thing that we ran into with Tom Herman and Charlie Strong is the flashes that we saw. The flash of good defense in Charlie Strong's first year, the flashes of consistent offense that we saw in 2018 from the Texas offense with Sam Allinger, Devin Duvernay, those guys. We aren't going to lose much of this production on this side of the ball. And just to, just to think that basically everyone on this team, on this offense, is going to get better. That should terrify a lot of teams to have to face this offense. The defense right now, I think very senior, senior heavy. Obviously, you've got Anthony Cook. You've got DeMarvion Overshone. You've got most of the defensive line with Coburn and Sweat and Ojimo. 
Those guys are, are upperclassmen. Jameson's an upperclassman. Those guys are probably all gone. There's probably a, a lot of guys that we're going to be looking to replace defensively. But on offense, yeah, you lose Bijan, you lose Roshan, and you lose Whittington. Replace Whittington with Isaiah Nair, another big play threat. Another year for Brennan Thompson in the system. Another year for Ajay Hall in the system. Another year for Casey Kane. Another year for Savion Red. Those guys who have made noise or flashed in some way uh, during their career to this point. And then in the backfield, I mean, Jonathan Brooks, in the limited time that we've gotten to see him, admittedly against very worn down teams and blowouts, looks extremely good. I mean, he's got some great vision. Jadon Blue looks pretty good. You've got... Cedric Baxter coming in, the uh, freshman from Florida, who knows what kind of impact he has right away when he hits campus. This offense is set up to be good, not just this year, but next year as well, at least. Then obviously you get into the Arch Mannings and the uh, Jonte Cooks and everything else. There's a lot to look forward to about how this offense is going to develop, especially if Steve Sarkeesian and Pete Kwiatkowski and Gary Patterson can get things going and staying in the right direction on the defensive side of the ball, things are looking much more promising. Now, with all that said, we've played one true road game and it was a disaster. So Iowa State this weekend, all also going to be a home game. The last home game Texas is going to have for basically four weeks. It's going to be, I think, November 12th before Texas finds their way back to uh, DKR. So show that there's no letdown spot here. Obviously, a big emotional win over Oklahoma show that we care about beating the hell out of Iowa State just as much as we cared about beating the hell out of Oklahoma, show that we can still play Baylor and um, Kansas, Kansas State, all of whom look at least solid to very good, show that we can take this show on the road, show them that we're past those demons that have haunted Sark on the road as a head coach, show that we're past the team that collapsed at halftime consistently in like six straight games in 2021. A whole lot to look forward to. Very optimistic. Conference championship game berth very much on the table, I think, for this Texas team with the caveat that we need to prove that we can consistently do it on the road. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at, at the FSS podcast. You can also find us off pod at the Hornscast Discord server, which is posted somewhere on the Hornscast Twitter account. Make sure you follow Hornscast on whichever podcasting platform you're listening on to make sure you get all future episodes of the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast, as well as all the other great shows on the channel, such as Fourth and Five and Pretend We're Football, which I, I, I don't follow basketball that closely, but I got to imagine that that one's not too far away. We'll be back for another conversation about the Longhorns after the Iowa State game this Saturday at DKR. Hopefully, you guys can all make it out there. Unfortunately, I will not be in attendance. So uh, one of you really should buy my tickets, which I have posted on, what is it, StubHub, I think is the official one for UT that they're partnered with. So buy my tickets. Um, But yeah, enjoy the game. If you're going to be there, keep that energy that we've had all season. Sark has brought it up numerous times, how much of an impact our fan base has had during home games and at the Red River shootout. Be loud, be disruptive, get rowdy. Things are really trending in the right direction right now in Austin. Until next time, hook them.